Welcome back to WeCast. I'm your host, Brock Benson. We have another week of winter weather in store for the West End, with moisture early on in the week before returning to sunny days with highs in the 40s and lows in the 20s. We're getting closer to spring with each passing day, and I myself am looking forward to a great season of progress and adventure. Also, don't forget that the Natarita Community Library has teamed up with the Talking Gourds Poetry Project to host a new Stories and Poems performance series on the third Sunday of each month, starting at 11 a.m., beginning February 18th, with Norwood storyteller... Bob McKeever. Those of you interested in storytelling and local entertainers should put that one on your calendar. From the Trailhead Sound Lab in Natarita, Colorado, this is a 141 production in cooperation with the Rimrocker Historical Society and the San Miguel Basin Forum. This is volume 74, issue number 36 of the San Miguel Basin Forum, bringing you all the headlines out of the West End of Colorado for the week of February 7th, 2024. The price of uranium as of January 29th is $100. All right, making headlines this week in energy news, George Glazier Talks Uranium by Reagan Tuttle, editor. George Glazier carved out time from his busy schedule to sit down with the San Miguel Basin Forum and discuss uranium, the market, and his plans for the future. Glazier, who formed Energy Fuels in 2006, was going to build a uranium mill in Paradox about a decade ago, but the license ran into litigation, something he fought for five years. He'd spent $10 million when the state of Colorado wanted him to start the process over, but he decided not to. Now he's building a uranium mill in Green River, Utah. It will be the only operational mill in the U.S. The one in Blanding, Utah is not processing uranium, but rare earth elements, which are used in modern technology for things like smartphones and vehicles. Glacier Pinion Ridge Mining owns the Sunday Mine, formerly owned by Union Carbide that supplied the uranium mill in Yurvan. There are about 20 people working there now at what Glacier said is probably the best mine in the world. It produces both uranium and vanadium, which is very unusual. Many people are watching the market and know uranium is climbing. In 2007, the price went to $130 but didn't stay because of supply and demand. Now, though, demand is exceeding supply, something that will be the case for years, Glazier said. The world hasn't mined much recently because it didn't make sense. According to Glazier, Russia and Kazakhstan wanted to capture the world market on uranium and they purposely drove prices down. Things have changed and the price is now more than $100 per pound. The market is growing, but anyone mining doesn't have a place to take ore. That will change when Glazier opens his Utah mill. He said he'll take ore from everywhere and buy from small miners. He said the mill he's building will be state-of-the-art, much better than 1980s technology and better for the environment with more efficiency. Still, he said his mill is two years away from completion. At the time, he said that's part of the reason the uranium companies are establishing themselves in the West End. At $100 per pound, there's money to be made, and especially when his Utah mill will be open. Regarding the small-scale reactors people are discussing, Glazier said they're the future of nuclear power. He said they can be built in a factory, cut costs, and are safer. He said the new technology does require, though, that the uranium product be enriched to 20%. The older, larger plants require 4% to make fuel. Russia has the only mill capable of producing the new type of fuel. But the small-scale reactors aren't the only thing driving up the market price. He said there's not enough product to power the existing plants. He said the world is not producing enough to fuel what's now operational and 
China is building a large-scale plant every month. He said China has big plans for nuclear power energy, but they have no uranium. They're buying all the product they can. Glazier said until a better source of energy comes along, uranium is where it's at as the world moves away from coal and oil and gas. He said many who objected to nuclear fuels are now acknowledging it's a better plan than climate change. He said nuclear will fuel the next few decades, and that could mean big things for the West End. Quote, this area is a big supplier of uranium, he said. Quote, it could be an economic boom for this area, and it's good for climate change, and it will fuel the carbon reduction industry, end quote. Mike Rudder, vice president of operations from Pinion Ridge Mining, agreed the market uptick was good for the local area. He told the forum they want to hire local people and won't look outside the region unless they have to. Some outside employees, like geologists or engineers, might have to be recruited, but Glazier and Rudder agreed they can hire and train many people from Nucla and Natarita. In community news, County looks into buying Old Elementary by Reagan Tuttle editor. Officials from Montrose County are looking into the possibility of the county acquiring the Old Natarita Elementary School. The inquiry comes after Citizen State Bank backed out of the purchase in January. Chairman of the bank, Doug Price, had told the forum in January after his announcement of not completing the closing that too many red flags related to costs were involved and more partnerships were needed. While Price and West End Public Schools District Superintendent Quint Waitolka were discussing another option, Option, one that has not been made public, another development is unfolding. Katie Jurgensen, Montrose County Communication Director, confirmed with the forum Montrose County is looking into the possibility of purchasing the old school. But that's all Jurgensen could say as of press time. Quote, Montrose County is excited to explore the possibility of purchasing the Natarita Elementary School. At this time, the county is conducting due diligence on the property, she said. Quote, the transaction presents a tremendous win-win opportunity for the West End community and county. If acquired, the school building would be used to consolidate county operations. Concurrently, the county would look to collaborate with West End Partners to make the gymnasium available for public and community use. The county is carefully assessing feasibility and financial implications of this project, ensuring it aligns with long-term goals. We are grateful to Superintendent Clint Waitolka and the school board for their assistance in this process." Nucla, Nucla Town Clerk Melissa Lampshire told the forum three individuals will be sworn in on April 2nd as town trustee. They are Timothy W. Pierce, Penny E. Berry, and Thomas Scott Barnes. Regarding the Nucla Community Center, Lampshire said it will be open in time for the Nucla Natarita Area Chamber of Commerce banquet. Quote, we are excited, she said Monday. Quote, it's just taking longer than I had hoped. We will plan on community opening for the first part of March. End quote. Norwood. Norwood Mayor Candy Meehan is running as an independent for San Miguel County Commissioner for District 3. She's not sure if she is running unopposed. Last week, she traveled with Norwood Town Manager Deanna Sheriff to the Colorado Water Congress in Denver. They explored funding for Rights Mesa as a whole and made some fantastic contacts, Meehan said. They plan to attend next year, too. Meehan also starts another Harvard Leadership Training, a 15-week program, this week. She's in the process of attaining Harvard's Executive Leadership Certificate. Todd Brittner announced he will retire from his position of superintendent of Norwood Public School District. He told the forum he's looking forward to the next chapter of his life with his wife, Deb Bittner. Quote, we have spent it combined as a couple over 50 years of public service and will continue to do so through the efforts of the Giggling Goat Farms nonprofit. Norwood has become our home and we are embracing its rural agricultural roots, he said. Quote, the Norwood School District is in good hands with the current board. We have made significant progress over the past three years and will continue to do so with a solid foundation, keeping our focus on staff 
staff retention and student achievement should be the district's primary goal, end quote. Reagan Snyder also resigned from the Norwood School Board last week. She told the forum she's too busy with her own family, her work, and her ranch to continue with the level of work the board will need to accomplish in the next few years. Okay, and in education news, upper grades settle into new Nucleus School special to the forum. The upper grades, the middle school and high school in West End Public Schools' new facility, are settling in and enjoying life in their new learning environment. Quote, we are sincerely thankful for the opportunity to have this new school, and it's heartening to witness the transformative impact it has had on both our staff and students, Melisha Reed, principal of the upper grade, said over the weekend. Quote, the air is filled with a sense of pride, and a newfound spirit of success permeates our halls, end quote. She added the smooth transition into the new building is a testament to the dedication and collaboration of the entire school community. According to her, it's amazing to see how everyone has come together to make the school site transition nearly seamless, creating an environment that fosters growth, learning, and a sense of belonging. Amongst all the building changes, there is a new addition to the staff. Colin Tomlinson has joined the team as teacher and athletic trainer. Quote, we are very fortunate to have his talents in the classroom as well as in the gym, Reed said. Quote, his expertise is already making a positive impact and we're thrilled to have him on board, end quote. And with the new year comes scholarship season, which is well underway. Valine Baskfield, the director of the Chang Chavkin Scholars Program, took the opportunity to present to the junior class in Nukla this past month about the Chang Chavkin Scholarship Program. The regional program aims to support and empower students in their pursuit of higher education, those in rural communities and who are first-generation college students. Students who meet the criteria have the opportunity to apply for funding. Miss Erin Squires, who teaches middle school math, science, and also high school biology, brought in a guest speaker, and the school was honored to have Dr. Jute Wynn on campus in January. Wynn is an accomplished cave scientist and conservation ecologist with a background in wildlife ecology, entomology, statistical modeling, and remote sensing. Wynn's work extends far beyond the planet and has contributed significantly to the understanding of caves throughout the solar system. Over the past two decades, Wynn has led more than 80 cave science expeditions to various locations, including Belize, Chile, China, Spain, Rapid Nui, Hawaii, and throughout the American Southwest. Notably, he carried the prestigious Explorers Club flag on 20 of these expeditions. Reed said talks from experts like Wynn are important for Nucleus students. Quote, we are excited about the enriching experiences and opportunities that these new classes and guest speakers bring to our students, Reed said. Quote, the change in our physical surroundings has translated into a positive change in the attitudes and outlooks of both staff and students. Reed said the pride the school community feels in the new building continues to grow. She's pleased with the level of enthusiasm and what the future holds. Editors know to report on how the pre-K and elementary students have transitioned into the new combined school space along with their recent celebrations is forthcoming. All right, Dark Skies news. The West End Dark Sky Alliance urges its participation in county survey, special to the forum. The West End Dark Sky Alliance adopted its bylaws unanimously at its January meeting and reviewed the finances and upcoming events for 2024. They also discussed potential lighting issues on county land around Nucla and Natarita. West End Dark Sky Alliance's President Deb Schuber said the threat of solar power plants, windmills, extractive mining, and other inevitable development out in the West End of Montrose County warrant responses to the survey about the Montrose County Master Plan and County Land Use Code changes. Quote, we must express our desire to reserve our night skies in Montrose County, she said. Quote, lighting policies must be adopted and are dark sky friendly while also accommodating mining, industry, energy production, agriculture, and tourism. End quote. 
Weedsome members agree smart lighting will protect night skies while creating safety on industrial job sites and in residential developments. Quote, we must convey that we want our beloved dark skies to remain as they always have been as much as possible, she said. Quote, they are our heritage and a signature feature of this area. Once gone, dark skies are hard to recapture. These are integral to a healthy ecosystem, which keeps us all healthy, too. So go online to Montrose County and fill out the master plan survey, end quote. Stuber said survey participants should stress they're providing input about the West End as the questions are geared toward the Montrose area and the east side of the Uncompahgre Plateau. Stuber closed the recent Weedsa meeting by reading her letter of resignation. She said she feels confident someone will take her place who can keep up with the changing times and technology. She added the organization is set up and has achieved much already. Despite leaving her leadership role, she said she'll continue as an advisor and negotiator for public lighting for both Nucla and Natarita and with the San Miguel Power Association. Quote, I will also tend to other loose ends that must be done to maintain our DSI certification status, she said. Quote, each of you is tasked with helping maintain our certification status as well by documenting events with photos, verbal descriptions, news articles, and anything else that supports keeping our stars bright. End quote. Stuber says the documentation will be used at the end of 2024 when writing the annual DSI report. She said every contribution helps. That includes every light bulb changed, shade mounted, light fixture changed, educational opportunity taken, or even participated in. It must all be documented. Quote, anything you do to promote dark skies will help our report, she said. Quote, please send the info to me so it is not lost or forgotten. End quote. She's also helping the Western Slope Dark Sky Coalition establish a San Miguel County Dark Sky International Reserve that will encompass the entirety of San Miguel County, with the core of darkness being Thunder Trails and the Lone Cone areas. The application is underway. The West End could be attached to the possible reserve, as could other counties. It would be the third in the U.S. and 22nd in the world. Now there are 15 dark sky places in Colorado, with 29 more in the pipeline. Colorado will soon have 44 international dark sky places certified. Weedsa members said tourism is burgeoning and that state residents do not want growth and development to destroy the beauty of the night skies. Editors note the Montrose County survey for master planning seems to be not taking additional responses at this time. All right, on page two, we have Ag Talk, Why Artificial Insemination by Kieran Bray, Forum Intern. The breeding of cows is a bigger process than most people might think. There are many techniques that ranchers use to get their cattle bred and ready for the next breeding season, one of those ways being artificial insemination, or AI. Artificial insemination is the process of depositing semen into a female reproductive tract by artificial techniques rather than natural mating. This technique has become a big tool for ranchers when breeding livestock, and here's why. With AI, a rancher can enhance genetic traits, meaning they can pretty much handpick what breed, size, color, and other genetics they want an animal to have. With AI, ranchers can select high-quality bulls with characteristics they want, such as increased milk production, improved disease resistance, meat quality, or even increased birthing rates for when the animal is older. Now, a rancher doesn't have to AI a whole herd. Cattlemen could just do a few cows, and over time, that could open up an opportunity for more genetic diversity within the herd, ultimately leading to one's dream herd. AI can be a safer way for animals to have babies. On my ranch, Bray Ranches, we like to AI our heifers, the first-time calvers. This, one, helps the cows hopefully have an easier birth their first time, and two, this allows us to help them genetically, so then the baby isn't too big for the cow and there aren't any problems at birth. Some people might say that this is dangerous for the animals, that we are intruding on their rights as animals, but that is far from the truth. In the long run, AI is much safer for the animal. 
AIing one's cattle could help significantly with the herd's overall health. By using semen from tested and disease-free bulls, ranchers can minimize the risk of transmitting diseases or genetic defects to the whole herd. When breeding naturally, there is a higher risk of disease and genetic defect to spread through a herd. If a rancher were to AI just a few of their cattle over time, the risk will decrease because they have handpicked their genetics throughout the herd. Now, this does not mean there will never be disease or defects. We won't be able to completely get rid of those things, especially because these animals are outside and in nature constantly, but we can surely decrease the chances. Artificial insemination is the better option, both in the short term and long term for ranch animals. Personally, I would not AI all of my cattle every year because it's very expensive, but also because natural breeding is also important. But AIing a few cattle for the betterment of the herd is great for their overall health and production. Okay, we even have some news down here on page three today. Norwood News Bittner retires from Norwood Public School, special to the forum. After 25 years of public service and working within the public education system, Todd Bittner has decided that it is time to focus more on his health and spending quality time with his family. He will retire June 30th after wrapping up the school year. Bittner, along with his wife, Deb, made their way to the Norwood Public Schools District three years ago. His wife served one year as the school librarian, while Bittner has led the change as superintendent. He has developed many friendships with staff, community, and neighbors of the district through his positive outlook, experience, and knowledge in public education. Bittner has been an integral part of directing the many pieces necessary in applying for an opportunity for best funding with the Colorado Department of Education in order to move in the direction of a new K-12 school for the district. Last year, the district missed the funding by one selection. Through board direction, he will again travel to the Eastern Slope to present a case on behalf of the district in hopes of solidifying the funding, and then the district can go for a bond in November and achieve success at obtaining the remaining funds necessary to begin the project. While at NPS, one could say that Bittner's inherent theme is building trusting relationships. He has led several changes within the district, including making security a priority and building strong relationships with the San Miguel County Sheriff's Office. Daily, the president of the sheriff's office is seen by way of Damian Neblas working as an on-site security resource officer and with Michael Donnellan subbing for students on his days off from the county. And Blade Harrigan, also a deputy, assists in coaching the Maverick football program during the season. Quote, since my employment, we have increased our capital assets, including purchasing a home through the Pinion Park Project, allowing the district to more easily recruit and retain staff, he said. Quote, through cooperative relationships within the town of Norwood, we were able to purchase 17 acres of property in town and have also established close working relations with the West End School District, Telluride Foundation, Norwood Fire Department, and the Lone Cone Library. Each of these relationships bringing a more solid foundation to the district because of their continued support in one way or another, end quote. Bittner's plan is to remain in the area and continue ownership and operation of the Giggling Goat Farm. Quote, we look forward to building more personal relationships within the community as small farmers and citizens of Norwood. This community and school district as a whole invited us in to be part of the family and we have embrace this community as our own. He said, quote, the foundation that has been established over the past three years has left the district in a strong financial position and has created a culture that will continue to grow, even become more inspiring. We have outstanding staff at this district, end quote. Principal Sam Ryan issued his sentiments, quote, I have never had the opportunity to have worked alongside such an incredible leader. Working with Bittner these past three years has been an incredible journey for me and our school community, he said, quote, his retirement will be an immeasurable loss to our school community. However, I thank him greatly for his leadership, service, and learning experiences. I wish him nothing but the best in his retirement, end quote.
And some nonprofit news website workshop is February 22nd, special to the forum. To help nonprofits and community organizations navigate web accessibility principles, the Telluride Foundation is hosting a website accessibility workshop taught by Ali Rubidoux of Chair 9 Marketing. It will be held via Zoom February 22nd from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Free, this event will explore ways to make an organizational website more accessible to people with disabilities. Participants can expect to learn about legal compliance and web content accessibility guidelines, inclusive design practices, including responsiveness and content creation, search engine optimization implications of accessibility, testing and user feedback, and educational resources. Quote, website accessibility is crucial because it ensures that people with disabilities can access and use online content without barriers, said Robidoux. Quote, it promotes inclusivity by catering to diverse needs, such as providing alternatives for visual or auditory impairments. Improving accessibility not only enhances users' experience for a broader audience, but also aligns with legal and ethical considerations, fostering a more equitable and socially responsible digital environment. End quote. Rubidoux, the founder of Chair 9 Marketing in Boulder and with a long history in Telluride, boasts a decade of marketing expertise with a key focus on analytics. She's played a pivotal role in helping businesses of all sizes achieve their technical marketing goals and has a track record of successful entrepreneurship, having launched several ventures. The workshop will be held via Zoom and will be recorded. Participants must register to get access to the Zoom link and attend us06web.zoom.us forward slash meeting forward slash register forward slash tzuq-do-gr-t4qgdy21btdpd9k1k2ed-drbjc87 you might want to go online and look that one up yourself, folks. Participants can also access the link by going to TelluridePoundation.org and clicking on Upcoming Nonprofit Workshops under What's New on the homepage. For more information or help registering, the public may contact April Montgomery at 728-8717 or April at TelluridePoundation.org. All right, now for the star of the show, history portion from the Rimrocker Historical Society, Flour Mills Come to the West End, Part 2 by Jane Thompson, Rimrocker Historical Society. There's a nice picture this week. The, this image shows grain shocks, the old-fashioned way of building grain in a field so that it can dry. It shows a big open field with a bunch of piles of grain in it and a farmer standing there staring at it. All right, this week Jane writes... The decision had been made. The new flour mill of the West End would be built at Redvale. This new flour mill would be able to service farmers from Wrights Mesa to the Lily Lands and to Paradox Valley. Hopes were high for the prospect of hundreds of acres of wheat being grown and milled locally. The Montrose Enterprise of July 17, 1911 stated, Quote, quote, Harry Johnson has a fine stand of spring wheat on new ground, and John Mock on old ground has a few acres of winter species that promises to surpass any previous efforts of his at growing the bread-making cereal, end quote. The Hardman brothers Wade and Francis ordered a J8M Rumley steam plow and set out to clear a thousand acres on the lily lands. The machine would ship from Denver to Dolores and then drive on its own power to the Dry Creek Basin and plow 200 acres and then... Onto the lily lands. It would prepare the soil there for the large planting of winter wheat. Can you imagine seeing something like that coming across the basin? I wonder whatever happened to it. While the farmers were preparing new and old fields for planting wheat, the Maoris were busy shipping in the machinery for the new mill. According to the Redville record quoted in the Telluride Journal of August 10, 1911, quote, six carloads of machinery and a boiler and engine make a little over 70,000 pounds of freight to be hauled from Placerville to the Natarita Valley Mills. The owner expects to start making flour about the 1st of October, end quote. 
Can you imagine that much freight being hauled by wagon through San Miguel Canyon and up Norwood Hill? What a process. The article also explained that there was a high demand for seed for turkey red winter wheat. This seemed to be the best winter wheat for making flour, and farmers were worried there would be a shortage. But there didn't seem to be much to complain about. The farmers were happy with all of their crops in August of 1911, as well as their wheat. They were also producing good crops of oats, rye, barley, and potatoes. The future looked good for the farmers, and they felt the only thing the West End needs is a railroad, and if we could get that in some way, we could show Western Montrose County is the garden spot of the state of Colorado. Again, there's the railroad that never came. Not until May 1912 would it finally be announced in the Montrose Enterprise, quote, the Redvale flour mill is running. Bring in your wheat, end quote. Farmers were rushing to get their wheat harvested and into the flour mill. The farmers of Nucla had a bumper crop of wheat, but the Redvale mill was having a hard time keeping up with the demand. They were complaining that they would have to take their wheat to the Montrose mill and trade for flour. In the meantime, the Maoris built an addition onto the mill for storing the wheat so that they could take care of all the farmers. Business was booming at the Redvale flour mill. The farmers were having good luck with all their wheat crops. Farmers across the West End were selling their wheat for $1.50 per 100 pounds to the Redvale mill, which has the same price that the Montrose mill was paying their farmers. The whole enterprise was considered a success. By the end of 1912, there was suddenly talk of a new mill to be built in Norwood. Farmers were planting more wheat, so perhaps there could be enough business for another mill. Time would tell if the Norwood people could get a mill built as quickly as Redvale had. All right, there you have it, folks. That's the news for this week. Thank you, Reagan Tuttle, for another edition of this fantastic little newspaper that we are all so proud of. And, of course, thank you to Jane Thompson for another snapshot from the archives. Here are the birthdays and anniversaries from the Rimrocker calendar this week. Wednesday, February 7th, happy birthday to Tonya Laurence Snyder, Steele Arnold, Kendall Weimer, Braden Spangler, and a happy birthday in memoriam to Don Arnold. Thursday, the 8th of February, happy birthday to Melissa Mendisco, Tim Minnick, Don Shelton, Briar Noble Ray, and Jamie Thompson. On Friday, February 9th, happy birthday to Sherry Burns, Annie Long, and Hayden Olivia Brune. Saturday the 10th, we say happy birthday to Leif Cairo and Michael Christensen. And then on the 11th, Sunday, happy birthday to Michelle Kettle, Hank Nelson, Olivia Hess, Wesley Thompson, Alyssa Logsdon, Brandy Thompson, and Shelby Cairo, and a happy birthday in memoriam to Shania Farmer. And on Monday the 12th, we say happy birthday to Corrine Terry, Slade Carver, Marcine Klein, and happy birthday in memoriam to Pat Brown and Philo Richards. And on Tuesday, we say happy birthday to Scott Craig. All right, once again, thanks to everybody who had a hand at getting the news together this week. Thank you to our local chef and musical genius, Johnny Dobbs, for the theme music. And as always, thank you for tuning in. From the Trailhead Sound Lab in Natarita, Colorado, this is a 141 production in cooperation with the Rim Rocker Historical Society and the San Miguel Basin Forum. This has been Volume 74, Issue Number 36 of the San Miguel Basin Forum, bringing you all the headlines out of the West End of Colorado for the week of February 7th, 2024. I'm your host, Brock Benson. 